0: We are in a series, I'll tell you a little bit, if you haven't been with us, I'll tell you a little bit about what we're doing in just a second, but tonight we're going to talk, uh, as we continue to talk through the faith that has been handed down to us as followers of Jesus, we're going to talk about Jesus and the rescue and renewal that comes from Him. And I want to start that by just putting in front of us uh, maybe the first verse of Scripture that you ever memorized, a little bit different translation maybe than what you've seen before, But in John 3, Jesus is recorded saying this, for God expressed his love for the world in this way. He gave his only sons so that whoever believes in him will not face everlasting destruction, but will have everlasting life. Here's the point. God didn't send his son into the world to judge it. Instead, he is here to rescue a world headed towards certain destruction. When I was probably about nine or 10 years old, Uh, My dad was the associate pastor of a relatively large church uh, in East Texas, and this is kind of uh, pre-megachurch phenomenon, but it was the largest church in town, and uh, my dad was what you would call second in command at that particular church, and the senior pastor, who was just called the pastor uh, at that time, had a son who was my age. His name was Glenn, not to besmirch him, but I'm about to besmirch him. Uh, he 's not here tonight, um, probably not listening on the internet but But Glenn and I were friends, but Glenn was one of those friends that you had to occasionally remind yourself that i 'm supposed to be friends with this person uh, because he would occasionally uh, find something to pick at and just pick at it or just gloat or taunt or whatever and and in um, one of our i don 't remember if it was Sunday school or r a s or whatever. Uh, One of the classes that we were in together, we had a scripture memory contest. And uh, let it never be said that the age of participation trophies or snowflakes or whatever originated in the church in the 80s because everything was a competition, even how well you knew the Bible. And so we had a scripture memory contest and we went through different rounds and you were just given a scripture reference and you had to quote back the scripture verbatim in the King James as we had learned it. And there were different rounds and Glenn had told me from the outset that he was gonna win this, uh, and that since we, his dad was the pastor and my dad was the associate pastor, we would probably be the last two left standing, and that he was gonna clean up uh, with me in this contest, and he was somewhat prophetic. It came down to me and Glenn in the final two, and some of the scriptures were easier than others to memorize, but the scriptures were just being pulled out of a hat, And you might have gotten the hardest one in round one and the simplest one in in the final round. You didn't know. But Glenn's turn came. And if he got it right, I suppose I had accumulated a miss. I don't remember how, but this all worked out. But if he got it right, he was the winner. And I wasn't going to have another shot. Uh, So pull out the scripture reference. It's John 3.16. And I'm like, man, God really does love the senior pastor more than the associate pastor. And Glenn proceeded to say, for God so loved the world uh, that he gave his only forgotten son. <laughs> and if you never learned, John 3.16 in the King James, it says only begotten son, not only forgotten son, but in his arrogance, uh, he forgot Jesus and <laughs> I got a chance to steal the wind. and someone pulled scripture out of the hat and it was John 11.35. Does anybody know what John 11.35 is? Jesus wept. And it was over. Um, that's part of my history with John 3:16. And uh, I've never actually preached on it. And I'm not going to do a bunch of exposition of this passage, but I want to set it in front of us, because as we talk about this faith handed down, if you haven't been here, we started at the beginning of this series in the Book of Jude. Where Jude writes, Beloved, I was doing my best to write to you about the rescue in which we share, the good news that we've been rescued by Jesus, but I found it necessary to write to you to urge you to struggle hard for the faith which was once and for all given to God's people. So we've set out on a journey to talk about what does that mean? What is the faith once and for all, given to God's people. What do we as Christians, claim to believe? What's the very center of our belief that anchors us in that rescue that Jesus uh, has given to us? Last week, we started into, we've talked kind of through the story of God's people that lead up, that leads up to Jesus appearing on the scene. And last week, we talked about Jesus' appearance and the ways in which He called people to repent and see. That the kingdom of God was at hand through Him, and John, record, Mark records it this way: After John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, "The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe." the good news. Jesus was saying into this story where God had called the people and given them a promise and given them a blessing through Abraham, and they had veered in and out of that blessing, veered in and out of their part of the covenant, and he had continued to give them chance after chance to return to their homeland, to return to him. Jesus has stepped in and says, that story is coming to its completion in me. The time is fulfilled. Everything has been building toward me and I am the presence of God, the kingdom of God in the world. It is revealed. It is here in the flesh in me. And he called people to repent, to change from the life that they had been living and see, to look and see God's presence and God's ways. He was saying God is fulfilling that covenant that he made with Abraham and me. Believe it. Come be a part Of What was promised to you and to your ancestors and to your children and your children's children long ago come be a part of it in me And that's the message for us as well So as I talk through the next part of this I want you to remember that the words that jesus spoke in that time and place are his words for us As well let go of every other way that you've lived Let go of the ways that you have intentionally rebelled against god Let go of all of the ways that you have just chosen the paths of least resistance Repent change the way that you're living. Look, see, take hold of the kingdom of God in Jesus. Look and see what God has done and is doing and is going to do in Jesus. That's the message for us. We are invited into that covenant. We are part of that story that began centuries ago and the promise that God made Abraham that he would bless the earth, that he would be they would be his people. Abraham would be his people, his family would be his people and his descendants Generation upon generation would be God's people. We are part of that. We are invited through Jesus to be part of that story, to receive the blessings of that covenant. But Jesus does that. He brings us into that covenant by more than just what he says or what he teaches. And maybe the most pivotal anchor points for the faith once and for all given to God's people, as Jude writes about it, are what we believe about the death and resurrection of Jesus and how our salvation, how this rescue that Jude spoke about comes about in the life of Jesus, where this salvation that Jesus speaks of in John 3 happens, where it's enacted once and for all. So I'm going to talk about that. It was a little bit like preparing for Easter this week, which is kind of fun, in November to get to write an Easter sermon. But I want us to talk about how that happens, about what happens in the life of Jesus and what it means for us and for all of human history. So we're gonna start with the death and the crucifixion of Jesus. And I want us to see that the crucifixion and death of Jesus make a way for all of us for reconciliation with God not just temporarily, but once and for all. It's important, I talked last week a good bit about understanding context, knowing historically what happened with Jesus and we went through some of that. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on history tonight, but in in the cases of both of these events, it's important to understand that they really happened. That Jesus was really here, walked the earth, the same earth that we live live on, he was alive, And that at some point, he was really dead, that he didn't just go to sleep, that he wasn't a ghost who appeared and sort of disappeared and then came back. This was a real human process, that he was born, that he lived a life, that he died, and that he was resurrected. God came to earth in human flesh, and he began to show us his kingdom. He began to say things that people didn't expect necessarily from the Messiah, like, the least of those among you are actually the greatest in God's kingdom and money not only can't buy you happiness but it will devour your heart and it will become your master if your heart is set on accumulating money and the things that money can buy and he said things like the way to true life is to follow me through suffering, maybe even death and if you'll come with me and follow me all the way, I'll give you a better kind of life than you ever even imagined was possible. God came to earth as a human and said these things. And he did things that blew people's minds. He did things that were unexpected. He performed miracles. These were all signs of what was to come and what would unfold in the kingdom of God. And in response to all of that, people killed him. That's how the story goes of the real man Named Jesus. Religious and non religious folks alike conspired to kill him. Why did they do that? Because he was saying things that either threatened their power or threatened their comfort or the way that they lived or threatened the life that they'd built to maintain that power of control or their lives were so settled in some other territory that who he was and what he was saying was completely irrelevant to him except that it was a nuisance. These are different parts of the story that we see crop up when you see both people who come in the line of Abraham, who are considered religious, who are considered God's people, and people who have nothing to do with God and his ways come together and say, we're gonna execute this man named Jesus. Follow me, revolution, or a threat, to the religious way that that the religious folks knew, and it was useless and a nuisance to the non-religious folks. And it's easy for us to look back and go, what were they thinking? You know, we know the whole story. But, but those people were not as different as we are, as different from us as we'd like to think. It's important um, that we remember that there are... Probably for all of us, we can easily recount more than one time in life when God has come along and said something, and our response has been, oh, thanks. I'm pretty settled in the way that I'm doing things, or pretty sure I know who God is. I'm pretty sure I've got him outlined here in my notebook when I I studied systematic theology or when I read the book of John. Pretty sure I have this figured out, and so when the Spirit speaks or the Scriptures, a new part of the Scripture that you haven't really been in before speaks and shows you something about Jesus and it's a threat to your your way of living and understanding, we've had that that impulse to go, no thanks. And, and this they were dealing with it in real time. And so the response, ultimately, was that Jesus was executed. And it's important um, that we consider and experience The reality of that moment. I'm not going to dwell there for a long time tonight because we don't have time, but it's important to know that it's history, that it's real, that it really happened, and and not just let our conversation about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus become a math problem where we add sin plus the cross plus the resurrection equals my personal security that I get to go to heaven. There's so much more than that, tied up in the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's not a legend. It's not a theory. It's not an abstract theological concept. It really happened. Jesus really died because people were eager to protect their way of living and to resist God's way. He died because people were eager to protect the way that they lived and eager to resist what he was saying is God's way of looking at life and living life. Paul describes it this way in Colossians 1. He says, For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him. This is the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made. This um, is the one, Jesus, who was not guilty of any rebellion in that story of God's people. He crops up. He's born into that story. He's born literally into the lineage, the genealogical lineage of that story. But he's the one in the whole story who isn't guilty of rebellion, who isn't guilty of sin. And he dies... Because humans, even in that moment, are still rebelling against God's authority and God's presence. It's not just an abstract theological truth that Jesus paid the penalty for all of our sins and rescued us from the path we were on that led to destruction. It is a truth, but it's not abstract. It's very concrete, it's very real. It is a literal, historical reality that Jesus was the presence of God on earth, That presence was rejected, no thanks, God's here in the flesh, no thank you. And instead of responding to that rejection with condemnation, God through Jesus responded with loving sacrifice. This is what happens when Jesus dies on the cross. The result of all of that is our salvation, our peace with God, the crucifixion and the death of Jesus make a way for reconciliation with God once and for all. God responds again to our sin, again to our rejection, again to our rebellion by making a way. And that way is through the death of Jesus. Because the cross, we we use this word in the faith, atonement, because the cross atones for our sins and offers us reconciliation with God, it does something else. It doesn't just like i said it's not just a math problem where it takes the, the the side of the equation that's full of our sin and removes that sin from the equation though it does that it's not just that it also reorders the way that we live now not just the resurrection not just what happens in the aftermath of this but the cross itself the death of jesus itself reorders our lives now when we're free from the weight of our sin we're then able to be united with God. And when we're able to be united with God, we can see and embrace God's way, God's kingdom, instead of rejecting it. And that starts, that way, God's way, starts at the cross itself. In addition to freeing us from our sin, the cross shows us the real nature of God's kingdom. It reveals a new way of seeing reality, a new way of living. And Paul expresses what it's like to really see, to really receive, to really live in that new way, to really live in God's reality. When he writes this in Philippians three, I wanna know Christ and the power of his resurrection. let me be clear. The Sermon on the Mount, all of the things that Jesus teaches, all of the miracles that Jesus performs are crucial, and they've often been neglected in our big picture of understanding Jesus. We've also often boiled Jesus down to the cross and to the resurrection, and we've left out the whole of who Jesus was. Those things matter. They, they are all bound up in what happens here. But it would be error for us to run that direction and forget that following Jesus following his commands, following the teachings that we get throughout the four gospels. That's all bound up in what happens in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul says, I wanna really know Jesus. I wanna know Christ. And he shows us how it's bound up. I wanna know the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead, He is pointing us here to the next part of the story, which we're about to talk about, the resurrection. But he's not doing that without also turning our eyes to how the cross changes our life here and now. Paul is eager, he says, and this is convoluted without faith. This is incomprehensible without faith. But Paul is eager, he says, to share in the sufferings of Jesus by becoming like him in his death Because the reason he can say this, he can write this to throngs of people and invite them into this way of living is because Paul looks at the cross and he says, God has reordered everything. The cross changes the way that I see and understand reality, even my sufferings, even my death. It changes everything. With Jesus leading the way, the cross proves that hardship and suffering from those things come goodness and life, that God will raise out of those things goodness and life. So I don't wanna move from the cross to the resurrection without being sure we understand this. Yes, the crucifixion and death of Jesus make a way for reconciliation from God, and the cross shapes how we live now by inviting us to follow Jesus, who emptied himself and humbled himself, trusting God, to bring healing and life from his suffering and death. The cross shows us the shape of life with Jesus. It's shaped like the cross. By faith, we can embrace that. Not only because we see that cross, that sacrifice has paid a price I don't have to pay, but because we trust that God is gonna bring healing and life from suffering and death. So Jesus shows us that that the way to life runs through death to ourselves and to the world's ways of living and gaining comfort and power and control, to the world's ways of rescue. The kingdom of God where God steps in to this centuries long story of blessing and rebellion and consequences and he makes himself present literally in our form. He literally is incarnated is what we say theologically. He, he takes on human flesh. He comes to us as we are and not from a distance. That kingdom, his kingdom, runs through the cross, and it reorders the reality of all of us who will receive that kingdom. So, the cross reorders everything. It's also true after the death of Jesus. He, he's dead for three days. And on the third day, the scriptures tell us he's raised from the dead. Again, not resuscitated from a sleep, he is literally raised from the dead. So the second thing I want to say tonight is that the resurrection of Jesus empowers God's ultimate rescue of his people and renewal of his creation. I want you to see two kind of more specific things in this, and they're this. One, that God really raised Jesus from the dead, and two, that the resurrection of Jesus gives you new life, really changes the nature of your life, the power in your life, now and forever. Okay? Well, let's start here, that God really raised Jesus from the dead. This is a point... If you if you pay much attention to conversations within the church, this is a point of ongoing conversation. Is it necessary to believe that Jesus was bodily, that he literally was raised from the dead? Is it possible that this is just a fable, that this is just a story, that it means something, that it was given to us to tell us something about what God is like, but it's not necessary to believe that God really raised up the human Jesus from the dead. And if you uh i i understand the outside of the context of the scriptures i understand the arguments that that's made that what's important here is that you get the concept and not that you grab the history but if you pay, take the ser- scripture seriously at all it's very difficult to stay in that place because it's very clear in the scriptures uh, what they reveal about the early proclamations of the gospel and about the early foundations of the church, that a belief in the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus, they see as essential to the gospel having any power at all and any meaning whatsoever. It is crucial to the life of the early church. They believed as the first recipients of that faith that was handed down once for all people, for all time. They believed, and I think we are compelled, I say we are compelled to believe that everything depends on the resurrection being a true event and on that resurrecting spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead being alive in us, being a real spirit that lives in us. Paul makes this explicit in 1 Corinthians 15 when he writes, And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised your faith is futile and you are still alive in your sins then those who also those also who have died in Christ have perished listen there are things that we are told to believe theologically in the Christian faith that are maybe not as essential as some people might like to believe everybody kind of grabs on to their most important these are the things i really care about when it comes to doctrine and theology and there are things that I hear people occasionally say, this is crucial, you absolutely have to believe this. And if you don't believe this, then the whole thing is bunk. And sometimes it makes me crazy because I think it puts a stumbling block between people and the gospel. And it says, you have to believe this thing that I really care about, or you should just reject the whole story. And it is not necessary for us to make the decisions about where those stumbling blocks should be put. The scriptures do that for us. And they do it. The scriptures tell us that the the message of the cross is foolishness. It is a stumbling block to people who can't believe it or refuse to believe it. It's not up to us to decide that though. But this is one of those things that the scriptures make abundantly clear. It's all tied up here. And if you reject this part, if it's true that Jesus wasn't raised, then I don't know where the good news is. He continues a little more and says if for this life only we have hoped in Christ we are of all people most to be pitied but here's Paul's conclusion in fact Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have died for since death came through a human being the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being for as all die in Adam so all will be made alive in Christ the resurrection is our only hope the spirit that raised Jesus is our only source of real power. And it would be silly for us to believe that that spirit couldn't raise Jesus from the dead, but could give us some kind of power that matters. Paul makes the case very, very clear God raised Jesus from the dead. And by the way, he makes sure we know the spirit of God, that raised Jesus from the dead, is alive in us. And it's the same spirit. And it has the same resurrection power that it had when it it raised Jesus. It has the power to overcome sin and death and to truly bring us back to life. This is not just a spirit that did something in the past, and now we're kind of muddling along until God kind of brings the story to conclusion. Paul says, not only did God raise Jesus from the dead, but that spirit that did it is in you. It's still alive in the church. It's still alive in you if you have faith in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. God really raised Jesus from the dead and the resurrection of Jesus gives you new life now and forever. And I'm sometimes not sure we fully understand what that means. And it's important because understanding that the resurrection of Jesus gives you new life for heaven, yes, but now gives you eternal life. In eternity, it doesn't just run one direction. It's inclusive of your life right now. I'm not sure that we really live, that we really grasp the power that that resurrection gives us now, Jesus died because, this is the story, Jesus died because of sin. And that means he died because someone or something had to bear the weight of the destruction that we were building up heading our own way and, and, and continuing to veer out of God's blessing and God's story. The natural of order of things was that we would bear that weight. We earned it. Jesus interrupted that order and went to the cross to absorb that darkness himself. But this is where the faith is different and where I think we often end the story too quickly. Jesus is not just the dead man who took a bullet for you. He demonstrated not only that he loves us enough to bear the consequence of his sin, but that he has the power to actually destroy sin and end death. And that is a big overriding theological cosmic truth that there is a God who made us, who's been with us all along and who came into our space to overcome all of our darkness and all of our wrongdoing and even death. It's a big truth. But if it's true up here, it has to be true wherever Jesus is. And Paul says the spirit of Jesus is alive. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us. And the scriptures tell us again and again that by faith, Jesus is alive in us. And so if if Jesus has that power in resurrection in a big way, he has that power of resurrection in our lives here and now. It's true wherever he is and he's in us. Paul describes it this way in Romans 8. But if Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. Also, through his spirit that dwells in, dwells in you. Um, I've, I've used this example once or twice before I check my records, I'm pretty sure it's been like six years since I talk about it, but it's one that I have a hard time shaking when I, when I want to talk about what I think happens to us instead of us experiencing the resurrection power of Jesus. Um, there's a guy whose Instagram account I came across several years back who is a wealthy guy in the Middle East and he has lions. He has lots of crazy things. But one of the crazy things is he has lions. And for whatever reason and whatever goes through somebody's mind or lack of mind to have this kind of relationship with lions, <clears throat> he does. And the best part of the Instagram is when he brings his friends over and puts them in the fence with the lions and the lions chase them. And the friends don't have the same level of courage that he has about that the lions are not going to eat them. The reason for that is that lions are supposed to eat you. They're not supposed to do this. Uh, But when I I found this Instagram account, it reminded me of, oh look, that was an old transition from the last seven years ago when I found this slide, that was neat. Um, Years ago, this is a real time that our family went to the circus and uh, there was this lady dressed in bad tiger print purple, silver tiger print who, t- who tamed tigers. And this was kind of one of the pinnacle parts of the circus, was for us to all watch these amazing creatures, these sort of like top of the food chain creatures that God created and watch her make them do things that you can't make your, your cat at home do, right? To make them do, and, and I'm just gonna tell you, they're not doing amazing things. You're supposed to be amazed that they're doing really ordinary things. she can get them to sit and stand up and just generally not eat her, right? That's what's impressive about the circus tigers. And this doesn't always happen. I'm not one of those. I wish I was as a preacher. I wish I was one of those people who walk through life and every time something happens, this profound sort of illustration of life and God and the kingdom that I could use in a sermon came up. But I was just overwhelmed at the circus that night with this picture of how we live that we are the tigers, that God has made us in his image. We are not random creations. We are the image bearers of God. And not only that, but despite being image bearers, we've wandered and we've gone all these different ways. But no matter what we've done or what has been done to us, no matter the state of the world around us, we have been given new life, through the resurrection of Jesus, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in me and lives, if you have faith that that is true, lives in you, which means resurrection, life, and power in you right now. But if people look at our lives, is this what they see? Do they see the beings made in God's image, fueled by his resurrection power, who know how to sit, who know how to behave, who have lost touch with their created purpose. We weren't made to be tamed. We weren't made to learn the behaviors of common life as we see it in the world. We weren't made and Jesus didn't overcome death and come to live in us with the power of the resurrection so that we could sit on someone's Instagram account or our own Instagram account showing everybody how good we are at being domesticated into the behaviors and the collections and the accumulations and the accomplishments that make the world go ooh, that person's really good at this life. Look at that tiger sit. I didn't know tigers could sit on command. Look at that man, look at that woman, look at that teenager made in the image of God and filled with the life overcoming death, power of resurrection, living a pretty good life and impressing people. That's not what we were made for and that's not what the power of the resurrection in us looks like. We were made and we were brought into God's kingdom, to the kingdom of God's son, so that the life of God's son could be lived through us, so that the one who raised Christ from the dead can give life to our mortal bodies. Our mortal bodies, our current bodies, the life that we current live through the spirit that lives in us. And to bring to bear in the world, here and now, the power of life overcoming death. The power in the presence of God through Jesus. That's what we were made for. And I just don't want us to settle for less. And I settle for less on a daily basis. Until I'm reminded of this truth. That the way is gone because of the cross. And what I have instead, the gift to me instead, is the real life of God, the life of God that raised dead Jesus to real life. That power, that presence is in me, it's in you. Let's pray.